I've had, I've had an opportunity on Wednesday nights to teach a Wednesday night Bible study on Hebrews. We've been walking through the book of Hebrews, and we got to chapter 11, and you may have, be familiar with this or not, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Heroes of Faith. And if you have your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to just kind of breeze through quickly through the whole chapter and kind of recap of what's going on. Hebrews is written to a group of Jews, and the, the people at this time, these Jews, are, are contemplating uh, coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and you had another group of people, Jews, that were very intellectual, and they wanted to know, well, just tell me, tell me some proof. What's some proof about this whole Jesus thing? Because they were so caught up into the act of Judaism, where they had the priesthood, and they had the tabernacle, and they battled back and forth between, can I really trust this guy named Jesus, can I truly put my faith in him, and is that enough? Because they were so wound up in doing works and having to do this and do that to have a relationship with God, then Jesus comes along and says, look, I'm done with all the sacrifices, all that kind of stuff. I'm laying down my life for you. All you have to do is put your faith in me. And they struggled with knowing, is that enough? Is that really enough? So the writer of Hebrews, through the whole book, is trying to convince these guys is that it's only by faith that we come to know Jesus. Faith and only faith, and, and that's it. No works. So look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and again, we're going to breeze through it really quickly. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And it's not going to be up there, but you can glance at it. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it's talking about Abel. And we're going to go through it really quick. Hebrews chapter, one, um, chapter 11, verse 1. Abel is a great guy. What a great way to start. That God says, tells Abel, I want you to give a sacrifice, and Abel says, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm done. I'm going to do it. No big deal. I'm going to follow God because you told me to do it. And then the next guy was Enoch. Enoch comes along, and God says, Enoch, I want you to separate yourself from society. I want you to be a true God that's going to follow me and be a, a light in this dark world. And Enoch says, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do it. Then we go to Noah. Man, what a great example of faith with Noah. I mean, for God to come to Noah and say, look, Noah, I want you to build this boat, and, and it's probably going to take you a long time, but I want you to build this huge boat in the middle of the desert, and rain's going to come. And Noah said, well, wait, wait, what's rain? I've never seen rain. It's never rained on earth. And you, you mean water's going to fall from the sky, and it's going to flood the earth? That doesn't make any sense. But God told him to build a boat, and he built a boat among all these people that probably ridiculed him, probably criticized him, probably stole stuff from his workplace, probably... Uh, vandalized everything, but he continued to do it. It took him 120 years. Now, Noah didn't see the weather report. He wasn't a pulling up the app and seeing, okay, here's the clouds coming, here's the storm, here's the front. No, for 120 years, he just followed God because that's what God told him to do. For 120 years, he built a boat that was just so ridiculous, didn't make any sense, that was so uh, bizarre that he was doing it, but he followed God, he was, he was faithful. Then we go to Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I want you to pack up your family. I want you to move. I want you to go. I want you to go to a land that I'm promising you, and I'm not going to tell you where it is or how to get there. Abraham said, I'm in, God. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm in. I'm going to do it. Then we go into Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and God has asked them to separate themselves and be such a great beacon of light in a dark world, and they said, yeah, God, I'm going to do it, even though it's going to cost me friendships, it's going to cost me relationships, it's going to cost me a lot of things, I'm going to do it. Then we get to Moses. God called Moses and said, hey, hey, Moses, I need you to do something amazing. You know, it would have been so much easier for Moses just to stay with the royal family, to have all the perks, to have the resources of the Egyptian life, to stay within the palace. But he called, God, God called him out to do something amazing. And Moses said, I'm in. I'll do it. So why? 
Why, did, why are these guys like they are? Why did they do the things that they did? Why did they follow God like they did? I think it comes down to this, is that their view or their attitude of God was exactly where it needed to be. See, for us, we have a choice to worship a big God or a small God. These guys worshiped a big God, so they had big faith. I'm convinced that our level of faith is on par with how, our, how we view God. Like today, we, we just had an opportunity to um, worship God through our, our giving and our tithes and our offerings. God tells us to give back to him. This is what we say many times. Well, I can't afford it. I, I can't afford to do that. I mean, I got bills, I got this, I got that. I can't afford to give to God. Well, you're worshiping a small God. So how, how is it that these guys did these amazing things? How is it that they did it? How is it that they, God said, I want you to do something so outlandish, so crazy. I want you to build a boat in the middle of the desert. I want you to take the time to do it. I'm not going to tell you how to get there. I'm going to promise you land. I'm not going to tell you how to get there. I want you to set yourself aside, and I want you to, to worship me in a dark society. How'd they do it? I mean, I don't think the formula is only for them. I think it's for us, too. So this message, as we read through, as we read through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to think about this. Where's your level of faith? If God asks you to do something, would you do it? Faith is this. It is simply this. That you're so completely trusting in what God says that you're willing to do it without instructions. You're willing to do it without directions. You're willing to do it without example. This is what normally happens in our society, okay? This is, this is I'm talking to myself. If I feel like God's leading me to do something, you know what I do first? I research it. And I go, okay, was that a good idea to do this? Is that smart to do this? Let me Google it. Is that a right thing to do? That's not faith. Faith is, God, you're leading me to do it. I don't understand it, but the answer is yes. That's faith. My desire for our church, and something I've been praying for you for many, many years, is that we would be a church full of people that have the faith that's willing to say yes. I don't need instructions. I don't need directions. I don't need examples. I don't need proof. God, if you're telling me to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you. That's the faith that these guys had. They had this courageous faith in their life. They had the right view of God. So where's your God? Is it a small God? Is it a big God? You may be thinking, okay, uh, I, I, my, my wife is driving me nuts. She's driving me crazy. I, can, I don't know how to handle this relationship. I don't know how to handle this, uh, this, this tension between us, and I think I would just give up. Do you think God is interested in your marriage? Yes, God is interested in your marriage. Maybe you're in a business situation, and you're thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make that decision. I guess I, I, I won't make a decision. I don't know what to do. That's a small God mentality. Isn't it funny that here we serve a God, and we just sang about it. We serve a God that, that is majestic. We serve a God that's loving. We serve a God that created everything. He put the stars in place. We serve a God that created you. We serve a God that does amazing things, but when a time hits, when there's tension in our life, we go, okay, I'll just do it myself. I'll take care of it myself. That's not faith. That's not faith. My desire for you and for me is for God to put us in a situation that requires so much faith 
that we can step out and say, it doesn't make any sense. But when God shows up, we give him the glory. All these guys had an opportunity to take things on their own, to make their own decisions, to do things, but they said, God, you said it, I believe it. Here's a key. Who is God in your life? Are you God? Is your wife God? Is your children God? Is your boss God? Is your bank account God? Is your food God? Is your car God? You see, we have so many gods in our life that we just bow to and we worship. It's kind of hard to have faith in there. God says, man, I just want you to follow me. You follow me, I want to do something radical in your life. You follow me and you give me faith and show faith. I'm going to do something amazing. Just like these guys. I don't, I don't think that faith is only their gift. It is our gift. So look at Hebrews chapter 30. So we stop off at Moses. We get to Hebrews chapter 30. And there's been 40 years that has gone by between Moses and now this event. What were the Israelites doing for 40 years? They're walking, stumbling, fumbling, griping, complaining, whining, fighting each other. For 40 years, there's no evidence of any faith in their life until we get to this part here. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. It says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Now, let me just tell you the quick story about that. I know you know it, but can you imagine Joshua coming to the group and he says, hey, guys, look, we're about to go into the promised land, the whole promised land that was promised to us for hundreds of years, and we wandered in the desert for 40 years, and now we get the opportunity to go into the promised land. But yet we cross the Jordan, and then all of a sudden across the Jordan is this huge barrier called Jericho. These massive walls that scholars say that the walls were so thick that two chariots could ride side by side on top of it. Massive walls. And across the Jordan, they see this massive obstacle. And Joshua calls this group together and says, hey, guys, look, we're going to take the city. We've got to take the city because that's the gateway to the promised land, and we've got to get through that somehow. And he gets the guys together, and he starts talking to them and says, hey, guys, look, here's the plan. Ready? We're going to walk around the city one time each day for six days. And I can imagine that the, the guys are going, okay, all right, cool, all right, what, then what? Get this. Seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times. Okay, cool. Then what are we going to do? Then when after we walk around seven times, we're going to yell at the top of our lungs, and the walls are going to come crumbling down. I can imagine somebody going, that's the stupidest plan I've ever heard in my life. What, wouldn't you think that? Like, you mean all we're going to do is walk around, and the walls are going to come down after we shout? That's the dumbest plan I've ever heard of. But they had faith. They had faith. They yelled. Walls came down. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. They were not killed. She was not killed with those who were disobedient. Here's Rahab. We have the hall of fame of people with faith. The hall of fame of people that have faith. And here's a prostitute that's in the Hall of Fame. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing how God's grace, how, how he loved her so much that she did these amazing things, how he invested in her and wanted her, and she did these great things. 
She is in a hall of fame of faith. She is a prostitute. This is a lady that struggled with her self-confidence, struggled with her body, struggled with her mind, struggled with all these amazing things and hard things, but yet God still used her. Now, why did God use her? Because she is obedient. She's obedient. Scripture says here that she was not killed with those who were disobedient. So obviously the people in the city had heard what was going to happen. That the that this city was going to be taken over by this group of Israelites that are coming in and, and they're going to do something amazing. They're going to take the city and stuff like that. So obviously they heard it and they decided, nah, I'm not going to be obedient. But yet she was. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 through 11 kind of gives great insight of what happened. It says this, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea um, for, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to, to Shion and Og, the two, to, to, two kings of the Ammonites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. When, you heard, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now look at this last line. For the Lord your God is God. God in heaven above, and God on the earth below. She believed God. She heard the accounts of all these great things that God was doing through this group of people, and they said, that's the one true God. I believe it. I'm going to obey that. I understand it. Now, she was walking around in the city when these guys showed up, and I'm sure when she was walking around, she was probably on the job. And, and it's safe to say, I'm not making a joke of it, but it's safe to say that she wasn't saved by her works, right? She was saved by her faith. A lady that was a prostitute, a lady that had pain, a lady, lady that didn't probably think highly of herself, but God used her in a mighty way. In fact, she goes on to have a child named Boaz, and Boaz marries Ruth, and Ruth is the great-grandmother of David, and David is, is, is in the lineage, and all this is in the lineage of our Messiah. So Jesus' is great, 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 I don't know how, how many greats I need to go back, back, grandmother was a prostitute that loved God and was obedient. She understood who God was, she understood how big God was, and she put her faith in it. She's an amazing lady. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 says, what more shall I say? Basically, I could go on and on and on. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and, Bar and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Gideon, my goodness, there's another crazy plan. God comes to Gideon and says, look, I want you to take the, out this army. And you have 32,000 guys, 32,000 warriors. That's too many. I need to pare it down. So God started knocking it down and said, I want you to eliminate these guys, eliminate these guys. Well, he get it, gets it down to 300 warriors. And God talks to Gideon and says, look, here's the plan. Take your 300 warriors, and I want you to circle the Amorites' um, camp, and you're going to go up on the hill, and you're going to circle them. And this is the weapons I want you to take. I want you to take a torch. I want you to take a pitcher, and I want you to take a trumpet. Again, I can imagine the guys going, Really? We're going to beat this army. We had 32,000 guys. We could have wiped them out. Now we've got 300, and you're going to tell me to take a trumpet and take a pitcher and a, a torch? God's plan was this. That I want you to go up there, and all I want you to do, I want you to light your torch, and I want you to smash your pitcher, and I want you to blow your trumpet. 
and it's going to create such fear amongst your enemy that they're going to go crazy and they're going to run around they're going to end up killing themselves. And then those who don't kill themselves are going to run off. That's how I'm going to deliver you. Yeah, it seems like all through Scripture, God's goal in life sometimes is to humiliate a man's pride. I mean, we see it in these, these two examples of, of Jericho. I mean, imagine the people that are inside the city going, okay, here's those knuckleheads again. They're walking around. Like, that took a lot of faith. That took a lot of faith to say, okay, I'm going to trust what God said. doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to trust it. I'm going to trust God that he wants us to walk around the city, and, and he's going to protect us from them throwing boulders over the walls and killing us. I, I'm going to trust God to do that. doesn't make any sense. You imagine men in the city going, yeah, this is going to really work. It really worked. God slayed their pride. How God used a little boy when, when there's people that are hungry. He looks at this little boy and said, can you give me your fish and your, your bread? Kind of, sl- kind of hurt the pride of some of the men that were going, well, I could take care of that. Then we get to this story of Gideon, where Gideon followed God. And God said, I'll show you what I can do with your pride. I don't need weapons. I don't need that stuff. I'll take a torch, I'll take a pitcher, I'll take a trumpet, and I can deliver you. So what's holding us back? A fully trusting God. What's holding you back? Fully trusting God in your marriage, with your teenagers, with your job, with your investments, and giving to the Lord, tithing, or serving. Dr. Rohn's been doing the messages for the past uh, couple months about uh, the gospel. What's holding you back from sharing the gospel? You see, all of us have a choice. Either we can't be in one foot in each corner. We can't be, okay, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to have faith, but I want to do my own thing. You can't be one side or the other because you're not really following faith. Faith says, I'm going to step out here. You want me to do something amazing, God? You're going to have to do it because it doesn't make any sense. You want me to live in a society? You want me to live at school as an example for you while I get made fun of, bullied, uh, people tease me, ridicule me, tell me why I go to church, why are you serving this God, why are you doing this? That's faith. God, I'm going to follow you when the darks come. Look at verse 33. It says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Who, who does that refer to? Daniel. King comes to Daniel and says, hey, Daniel, you're only going to worship me and pray to me. And Daniel says, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Rips over the, the curtains and prays in front of everybody. He has the faith. God delivered him. Whose weaknesses were turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women's received, women received back their dead. Uh, raised to life again. That's referring to Elijah and Elisha, who, through God and through their faith, raised two boys from the dead because they fully trusted God. So we have all these examples of the Old Testament guys who did this and did this, and they followed after God. And usually that's where church in America stops. It's usually where pastors will stop because we live in a society that we want to have our ears tickled. We want to feel good about ourselves, and we want to go, yeah, I can be a conqueror. Yes, I can be on that. I understand that. I'm all in. But they don't want to read the rest of the verses. Look at verse 35. 
There was no transition statement from all these guys who had this courageous faith, and they did these amazing things. The Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 says, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. That is, I'm going to make you, and I'm going to break you, and you're going to turn your back to God. I'm going to beat you. And the people are saying, beat me. I'm not going to turn my back on God. I want to have my faith in God, and I'm not going to stop. You can beat me. You can torture me. I'm not going to stop. Verse 36, some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Flogging is just brutally whipping and beating somebody. Verse 37, they were put to death by stoning. Now, there's a lot of accounts of different ways stoning was done back then, but I read one this week where they would take a person, they would drive in four stakes in the ground, and they would tie rope to a person's uh, wrist and their ankles, and they would tie them on the ground, just flat on the ground. And the person that's making the accusation to them would take a big boulder, and they would walk up to them first, and they would aim for the heart, and they'd take the boulder, and they would slam it down on the person's chest to try to crush the heart. And if that didn't work, then everybody else around could take up rocks and beat the person to death until they died. Folks, they did this because of God. They did this because of following after Jesus. They did this because of their faith. It gets worse. The rest of verse 37 says, they were sawed in two. Can you imagine the torture of that? They were killed by the sword. And the Greek word gives us a better picture of not just one sword, but it's killed by swords. Now, if you've seen pictures of um, Nazi Germany where a bunch of guys would just kind of take their machine guns and kill somebody, it's kind of like this. They would stand a person up, and there would be 10 or 15 warriors with their spear, and all of them would throw their spear at the person to kill them because they were following after God. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. They didn't have anything, no money, couldn't buy clothes. They had to make it out of the sheepskins and goatskins. Verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. This world was not worthy of somebody that says, kill me if you want, bend me over a barrel and slash my back open, tie me to the ground and stone me to death. Get a sword, cut me in half, stand up and throw swords at me. You can beat me, you can take all my possessions away. I'm not going to turn my back on my God. Folks, listen to me. Where is their faith? Because it seems like in, in my years of ministry and have the opportunity of talking to people and see people in their walk and their, their life with God, we're so quick to turn our back on God when it doesn't make sense. When we have a relative that dies, we shake our fist at God and say, God, where were you? Why did you let that person die? I love that person. Why did you let them die? I can't serve a God that lets people die and suffer like that. I've got a good friend of mine. I don't know if he'll ever come to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. I've been talking to him for 15 years. He's a very smart guy. He's now a, a, a superior, not superior court, but a state judge. And uh, he saw his mom when he was 13 to 14 years old for that year, watched her die of cancer. And he said, I remember getting off the bus, and I could hear my mom screaming in pain. He said, tell me why God wouldn't just kill her. He might not ever come to know Jesus Christ because he doesn't understand why God would do that. But yet, guys, we're so quick to do that as Christians. 
we'll lose our job or we'll lose our, uh, something that's precious to us or our 401k tanks and we go crazy and we start to panic. What's our level of faith? God loves faith. God desires for us to walk in faith. That we're so recklessly abandoning and say, God, here I am. Where you lead, that's where I'm going to go. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. What you want me to say, I'll say it. Verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They had nothing. They had nothing. No place to go. No resources. No connections. Their friends abandoned them. Their family abandoned them. And they said, that, that's okay. Because I serve a big God. That's who I want to follow. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Is it little? You say, I can trust God in some areas. Some areas I choose not to trust God. I can tell you one thing. That God is interested in you. God is so interested in you. God loves you so very much. God wants to do something amazing through you. Some of us in this room are going to be conquerors. We're going to face a Jericho, and if you haven't faced a Jericho yet in your life, you will. You're going to face a huge obstacle in your life. God has called some of us in this room to be conquerors. We're going to conquer that, and we're going to get through that. Here's the other side. God may call in, be calling some of you just to walk faithfully in a life of agony. God may be calling you to walk faithfully in times of trial and struggle. And you're thinking, what am I going to do next? Everywhere I turn, there's pain, there's agony. Some of us may be walking that journey. Is it okay? is, then your faith is big. Because you know that God is still in control. Folks, this isn't our home. We're going to live here for 75, maybe 80 years, 60 years, who knows how long you're going to live, 90 years. This is very temporary. Heaven is eternal. When we walk by faith, we're speaking the language of God. And it gets us attention. I truly believe God is looking around and he's saying, I just want to find somebody. I want to find somebody that says, I'm in. I want to walk. I want to be faithful. God is looking for those people and he says, oh, bless you. I want to do something amazing through you. I want to bless you. I want to use you. I really feel like God is looking for those people. My desire is that our church would be full of those. He says, God, I'm in. Amen. Let's pray.